All right, Stanley, reading God's Word. This is Genesis 17, verse 24. <laughs> Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh before skin. Yes, this is what we're talking about today. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, thank you for being a God who is a God of grace and love and calls us to be a people who understand you better. And I ask that we would do that this morning by understanding uh, circumcision in Abraham and what it means for our hearts today to be circumcised by you. Amen. Have a seat. So the Bible opened to Genesis chapter 17. We have been Genesis for over half a year. We will finish, but it's going to be almost another year from now. Uh, this is the great heritage that becomes Christianity. Uh, today we look and continue to look at, our, at Abraham, this guy who stumbled and had faith and stumbled and had faith and stumbled and yet again today shows great faith again because we are discussing circumcision. Uh, comedians have made lots of fun of circumcision because most people don't even understand circumcision today. So I'm going to show you one of these clips. It is fairly clean, uh, just so don't be offended really by anything because anytime you start with circumcision, someone somewhere is going to be offended. So let me just show you what the standard view today is of circumcision. Here you go. Now, this is really how many people today see the whole idea of circumcision. And so we're actually going to look at the conversation that God has with Abraham about uh, doing this. Because circumcision means much more than this. So, Genesis 17, verse 1. That's about all the comedy you get this morning because this is a painful talk now. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Whatever. Okay. Chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old. So, it has now actually been 24 years since God first showed up. Because if you do math, you got 99 minus 75, 24 years. Now, it has actually been 13 years since the last chapter uh, that James spoke about last week when Abraham goes out and he has sex with Sarah's servant Hagar and makes this baby. 13 years. So, a lot of time has passed. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be be blameless. And again, there's been 13 years of quiet after his adultery, and God comes and he speaks about covenant again. Covenant means God is pledging himself to his people in a compassionate manner. This whole idea of covenant is one person giving themselves to another. In marriage, you say vows like for better, for worse, uh, sickness, and in health, richer, for poorer. God desires to come and protect and do good to his people. And here in the midst of this covenant, God now calls Abraham to do something. His responsibility his obedience in this covenant. God says, Abraham, now you are to walk with me. Be mindful of your responsibility. This is how God does good to us, and we respond by walking with him. I used to walk with my dad. We'd go to the beach and walk on the beach. We'd go on the pier. My dad always said, walk close to me, because on the pier, I don't know how it happened, I'd get lost and I'd fall off the pier. Every time we'd went, he'd be diving out there, grabbing me, bringing me back, walking on the rocks, boom, in the water. I'd go, foom, way out there. He'd come out and have to save me. So my dad's always like, walk with me. This is God talking to Abraham. Walk with me. Stay beside me. When you read the word blameless, it doesn't necessarily mean sinless. It means that when you do mess up, you deal with it quickly. So God says, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, may multiply you greatly. Sometimes we're kind of like Abraham. We don't really want to wait. We want God to bless us, right? God, bless me, bless me right now. Just, just bless me. And God says, I want to. But you need to walk with me first so that my blessing works out the way it's supposed to in your life. Verse 3, then Abram fell on his face. See, here's the voice of God after 13 years, and he falls down and he worships God. True freedom in the scriptures is always being able to worship God as he reveals himself. I tell you, sometimes it's like Abraham. It is good to worship God physically. 
joyfully. You do it with gladness. I mean, we go to, if you go to ever go to a concert, you're like, woo, unless it's really bad, and you're like, when do I get out of here? But if it's a good concert, you're like, yeah, and you're singing along. You go to a sports game, and it's like someone scores. Like, like I don't gamble, but I was, play, I, w- I was in this football pool that somebody stuck me in, and I won like 200 bucks the last Super Bowl. And I was like, yeah! I got, you're all, all excited. Like, my wife probably plays some of you in Boggle. It'd be like 2 a.m. She's like, yes, when she like crushes you. And I'm like, she wakes me up. I'm like, what's going on? She says, it's this physical thing. Sometimes it is good when we worship God to do the same thing where it's physically that we actually do something. And Abraham falls on his face in response to God. And God said to him, verse 4, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. Now, Abram, that name meant your father is exalted. His dad names him when he's born, I'm so great. Because the dad apparently has a low self-esteem. But God changes his name. But your name shall be Abraham. That means a father of nations. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you. And this is the pattern that God does throughout the scriptures. He changes people. He remakes them and renews them. Jesus comes and he does this. He changes Simon's name to Peter. He changes Saul to Paul. Because sometimes when you follow God, you become so different than you were before that your old name doesn't even fit. And second Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Because God completely remakes us. And God says, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. Everlasting means unbroken, that God will love this man and his people forever to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Again, the essence of Christianity is that God has given himself to us. There are three parts to God's gift to Abraham. Number one, most importantly, is God promises himself. The second thing God promises is a son. The third thing God promises is land. God says, And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And I believe ultimately he's talking about you and I. Verse 9, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. God literally says, You walk with me. And then you teach your kids to do the same thing. This is an ongoing legacy of faith. Uh, that the worship of God extends far beyond ourselves. He says, Abraham, you need a long-term vision for your family. This is what we all need, a long-term vision of what God is intending to do. This means in your life, if you're like, you have a terrible family or a terrible father, you've got to stop letting that dictate the rest of your life and let God remake you and renew you. And so God now talks about the sign for this. Uh, you get married, you exchange rings, God gives Noah a rainbow, and Abraham gets circumcision. I don't know if God was just really irritated at this and said, you know, you, you have committed adultery. Here, here we go. It's in the book. We'll talk about it. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Now, again, at this time, this would have been done with a flint knife. That's a rock. Okay? It's a sharp rock. So chop your foreskin off with a very sharp rock. Good thing we're people of grace today because if God came and said, if you want to be saved, you've got to be circumcised. A lot of guys would be like, I'll go to hell. Where's the bus going the other way? <laughs> Just, this is kind of scary for me. Verse 11, God says, You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. I cannot tell you how many times when we talk about circumcision, I have people that ask me, what is that? What does that mean? Guys and girls both. People don't know what it is. So in, in the least offensive way possible, I am going to show you uh, what this is. Th- this is uncircumcised. Okay. This is circumcised. It's the best I can get. 
Thank you. All right. All right. All right. Next slide. We don't need to think of James like that. All right. What you have to understand is that it it is not coincidence that God decided to choose this part of the male anatomy. It it is here. If if man is committed here, all of the man is going to be committed. Uh, You have Abraham. He commits adultery with Hagar. He probably thinks that he has produced the promised son that God was talking about himself. But it's not the son that God had promised. And what God wants to do is make Abraham open and receptive to what he's saying again. And you you also have to understand this, that that in circumcision, this isn't an extra flap of skin. It's not like really going to hurt anybody. And, And I think God puts it there for that reason so that he can make this covenant eventually with Abraham. Because at this place is where men will commit their greatest good and their greatest evil pornography adultery fornication but also bearing and having children it all comes from this place and again think about this when god decided to brand his men he did it there verse 12 he was eight days old among you shall be circumcised to this day jews are still circumcised on the eighth day this is every male throughout your generations whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring but he was born in your house and he was bought with your money shall surely be circumcised now i just imagine what this looks like if, if people get this gets out and abraham needs some new servants to help take care of his flocks and he walks into a town to grab a few they're like hide that guy's coming you know what happens if he gets you i can just Imagine that's right. But what's truly being said to Abraham is as far as you can, you help everyone you come into contact with to know who I am so people can walk with me. God says, so shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. So when men in the Old Testament would look at themselves naked, they would remember before they sin that they belong to God. It's not like a sticky note. It's not like a string on your finger. This is something much more than that. God says, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. I know you don't read Hebrew, but in the Hebrew, God is actually making a joke. This is a euphemism when he says, Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. It's like, ha, ha. I, you know, I know, whatever. You're American. All right. He has broken my covenant. And what you will see throughout the rest of the Old Testament scriptures is that all these people that hated God were always called uncircumcised. And God says they're cut off from my blessing. And if you follow this whole idea of circumcision throughout the course of scripture, you see God's very serious about this. But what was circumcision? Am I saying that you all need to go and do this? No, I'm not saying that at all. What you see that the scriptures take and start pointing this to is an attitude of our hearts. It is a painful experience that makes you bleed and you're very careful how you walk because if you are circumcised, especially at 99 years old like Abraham, you're going to be careful how you walk for a few weeks after. You're like, oh, and this is the idea. You become careful of how you begin to walk with God. That's the point. A heart that bleeds for God. Now let me break this out for you because again this all goes to an attitude of the heart. If you read throughout the scriptures and you circled every time the word heart is used, the word heart and its derivatives are used over 900 times in the scriptures. 900 times means it's important. It's like if you go to Mexico and all your friends say don't drink the water. And don't drink the water. And then people you don't even know say oh you're going to the border? Don't drink the water. That probably means it's important if everybody says don't drink the water, because Montezuma has revenge and it is found in the water. So don't drink it. And with this idea, when it comes to our hearts, though, is our lives are either honoring or dishonoring to God. And collectively, these things come together and make a culture. Our heart drives and shapes culture. 
Scripture works in layers. It gives us a whole bunch of poetic images to show us the truth. Like when it talks about God. God is spirit. God is like wind. God's like a fire. He's a rock, a gentle whisper, a king, a warrior, a priest, a shepherd. The Bible layers these poetic images upon each other so we understand God better. And so if you are feeling lost, God is a shepherd. Come to find you. If you are in rebellion, God is a judge and God is a king. If you are hurt, God is a father. The same thing happens to the word heart. It's a poetic way of saying who we are, everything about us. It's not an organ that just pumps blood through your body. It's your center, your essence, your nature, the heart of the matter, the root of who you are. You're not just mind, body, and soul. It's this heart that encompasses all of these things. And so any attempt to reform conduct and motive must begin with a sober assessment of our hearts. This is why Paul in the New Testament in Romans chapter 12 verse 3 says, For by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. We need to be humble people to see this. This is why we can't say, oh, well, I have a good heart. And all your hearts are just terrible because an accurate assessment of our hearts are difficult because nearly everyone believes that our own hearts and motives and actions are pure. This is because our heart is sinful and deceitful and self-destructive. Let me show you some verses. Proverbs 21, verse 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Proverbs 20, verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. The implied answer is no one. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The scriptures tell you your heart is like your enemy. And when all these crazy people today say, oh, just follow your heart. No, no. Your heart will just take you down the wrong road all day long. I actually think that Satan is self-deceived by his heart. I think he thinks that he's right and God's wrong and he's actually going to win. See, we're just like that, though. We can build an airtight case for anything we think we want to do. But it's like the verse James quoted last week. We're stupid. We're a bunch of idiots. This is why, why married couples get to a point where they say, well, they're not serving me, so you know what? I'm just going to divorce them. We have I, you know, all these reasons for it. Single people, they're out, and they're, and they're dating people, picking up in terrible places, making excuses for it all day long. I actually, uh, nobody in this room is not you, so don't be offended. Okay, so I had this couple in my office like about a year ago. They, they don't go here, so it's not you. And I got to preface that every time. It's like, oh, he's talking about me. It's not you. Okay. I keep in contact with them. Uh, and, and so I'm sitting there, and I, and I premarital counseling, and I ask, and I ask them, are you Christians? And, and the girl says, I'm a believer, and so is he. And he says, I'm not a Christian. And she goes, yes, you are. I'm like, oh, we got stuff to talk about, you know, because seriously, our hearts are self-deceived. We used to go and do uh, T-shirts for camps, and so we go to camps, and we hand out these T-shirts. Now, I wear a medium in a T-shirt. Now, I, I am, I know I'm built like a junior high girl, right? But these, these girls would show up larger than me, and they would say, I want a small. And it's like, our hearts are deceitful, okay? We, we, uh, we are not going to add to the muffin top problem in the world. You know, you don't get a small. I'm going to offend everybody in the room this morning, and it's, it's okay. Christians do this almost more than anybody else because we will take something that we want to be true because we want to do something wrong and we will come and start laying that on top of the scripture say, well, the Bible agrees with me. Why? Because I want to go and do this thing. We do it because our hearts are deceived. Matthew 15, 8, Jesus says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How is that remedied? The answer is circumcision. There'll be knives in all the communion tables this morning. Just kidding. Just kidding. 
See, we know our words, but God knows our hearts. And because we are deceived, we think everyone is messed up except for us. We think everyone else is messing up our lives. This is no more pronounced than people driving in traffic. You see this all day long. And we think that we are normal and everybody else is abnormal. I will tell you, Jesus is normal and everything else is abnormal. We are the blind that lead the blind. How can we judge someone else's heart or even our own heart? Jesus alone, we are told in the scriptures, examines our hearts. 1 Corinthians one twenty four talks that Jesus was the wisdom of God in human flesh. Matthew 13.54, Mark 6.2, Jesus teaches the wisdom of God the Father. Matthew 12.42, he teaches wisdom that's greater than Solomon's wisdom. Matthew 15, John 5, Acts 1, Acts 15, he alone knows the folly of our hearts. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, he invites us to mine from him all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge of God. Because God is aware and he is concerned about the condition of our heart, he has inclined his heart towards our heart in our great need. Because we desperately need God to give us an entirely new heart so we can be a new people with new lives. This is why we call the gospel good news, because if you are honest about your heart, then you need good news. Here's some verses. Ezekiel 11, uh, 19 to 20. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit, I will, and I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, they, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. God says, you were born with no hope for your heart. So he says, I will take out that rock, that stone that is a heart, and I will give you flesh so that it can breathe and feel alive again. Ezekiel 18, 31. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. This means when we get a new heart, we begin to hate our sin because if we don't, our heart becomes calloused again. It becomes like that stone again. Jeremiah 24, verse 7, God says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. If you want to know if you have a new heart, you've got to ask yourself the question, do you really want to know and follow and walk with God? And if you have a new heart, you never take it for granted because it is a miracle. I believe God speaks creation into existence, and that is easier than changing our hearts because creation didn't fight him like we fight him all day long. And just don't think that because you end up in a church that that you have this new heart. If your life is not reflecting what is birthed in a new heart, you need to surrender your life to Jesus today. This, thank you, this is the idea of circumcision of our hearts this is where the scriptures go so so our hearts are soft and pliable and vulnerable to him so that i mean if you ever had a really bad cut somewhere everything hurts you feel like the wind blows and you're like, oh. and this is what happens when god circumcises our hearts he wants it that tender so god can just breathe and we're like oh, and we can hear and feel the breath of god this comes from repentance, which is the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is where it all comes together. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. And the Lord, your God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Again, circumcision is this process. You cut away this flesh, this old nature, which changed you down and caused you to become cold and callous and unfeeling. Matthew thirteen fifteen. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Repentance says, God, you were right, and I am wrong, and I will not self-deceive myself any longer the more callous we become the more god prods and the less we hear here's a verse read this verse with me deuteronomy 10 16 ready i had the first service they were kind of really slow with this so i'm gonna give you guys a little heads up here we go ready circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn 
Do you see how this begins to come together in the scriptures? The end result is this new heart that's continually cleansed of its callous position and condition so that we can live a life of joy as our heart begins to beat in time with God's heart and they beat the same way so that we can live in joy and life and love again. God gives us a new heart and continually rips off the callousness of our hearts every day so it's circumcised and bleeds and feels and takes delight in him. And the conclusion of all this for the purpose so we can love him and delight in him and have wisdom and knowledge from him. And this is what God desires for Abraham when he gives him circumcision. Abraham's heart is hard. He thinks, I just made this baby. I'm done. I got the promised kid. But it's not the son God had actually promised. So God's going to cut away flesh, make him tender again. Because he wants all of us to have the soft, tender, teachable heart and life in the most intimate place. Abraham is now going to be God's in the most intimate place of his life. And so God changes Abraham's name, signifying what he's going to do. And God also then changes Abraham's wife Sarah's name as well. Verse 15 in chapter 17. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall no longer call her Sarah, but Sarah shall be your name. I know, I just said the same thing. No, not, not really. There's a big debate about this and why, because names aren't that different. One might mean contentious. One might mean princess. I think they both mean the same thing personally, but that's just me. Uh, I think this is a bit to show that God is not calling for female circumcision here. But what it states is that God is going to give Sarah love and affection again. Even though she was sexually immoral as well, she set up the whole thing between Abraham and Hagar. But God's going to give her a new start. He offers her redemption as well to remake her and renew her. God says, verse 16, I will bless her and moreover I will give you a son by her in case you miss it the first hundred times i told you abraham by her this is what they really wanted their entire life god says i will bless her and she shall become nations kings and people shall come from her i think this leads ultimately to genesis 49 says a king's going to come from judah a king of kings his name eventually is jesus the ruler of all creation what is abraham's reaction to this verse 17 and abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself so this isn't like falling on his face and worshiping this is like You're showing it to you. Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham's reaction, it indicates that he thinks this is highly unlikely. That I don't think this is really going to happen. God, I'm really old. I'm changing my own diapers now. You want me to change baby's diapers? I, I'm not sure. But really, on the other side of this, is he's actually saying, no, no, God, I got a boy. It's okay. I don't need you to do this. I don't need you to step in. I did it. Look at verse 18. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. I mean, it says, No, God, I got the promised boy. I got him. I, he has a lot of love for this child. He's like, God, can't you just give this blessing to Ishmael? You know what God says? No, no. I've got a plan, and I'm going to do it a certain way, but I will love and take care of Ishmael. Verse 19, God says, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you will call his, shall call his name Isaac. You know what Isaac means? Laughter. He's like, you laughed at me? Ha, I'll laugh at you, 100-year-old man carrying around a baby. <laughs> it's great. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. So God doesn't change his mind, but he does hear Abraham's prayer. He's going to take care of Ishmael because prayer does work. And in the scriptures, we don't know how closely Ishmael walked with God or not, but God takes care of him. God says, he shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. Isaac and Ishmael both eventually lead to 12 nations. And God says, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah, just to be even more clear, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. A boy is coming. 
Now, I know there's a lot of you guys in here who are having, or your wives are having babies, and so you're getting from a father for the first time. If you would like, come and talk to me. I will send you this cool little ebook that's uh, free for me and available for me to send out to you. It's by a guy named Mark Driscoll. He wrote a book called Pastor Dad. And it's a great little book when you come in a father for the first time. Uh, in this book, he talks about how he has his firstborn son. And he prays to God, God, you are a father now. I'm going to be a father. Teach me to be a father as you are a father. And what he does is he holds up his boy when he says it, and his son poops on his foot. And he's like, yes, I guess that's about what it's like being our father. Because we do this all the time. This is what Abraham did. And God says, you know what? I'm going to renew and restore you again. Verse 22, when he, God, had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Verse 23, then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house were bought with his money. I think it's a tough sell. Every male among them of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. I mean, this is faith. God shows up. Abraham falls on his face. Okay, God, what you want? That's what I'm going to do. That very day. Do you see the urgency? That very, I mean, me, I'd be like, yeah, I'll get around to that someday. <laughs> you know, I don't know when, but, but he did that very day. I mean, this is, again, the idea of urgency. Uh, you know, we, we do baptisms a few times a year here. You know, if you're a believer and you haven't been baptized, you need to get baptized. I mean, it's, it's not a thing that's necessary for salvation, but it's a sign of a covenant between you and God and the people at Elma that you're going to walk with God the rest of your days. In the early church, the first thing people did when they followed Christ is they got baptized. And so we do this. We're going to have baptism in three weeks. And if you would like to be baptized, sign up in the back. We would love for you to be baptized as part of this family and, and the call that God has placed in your life. It's a sense of urgency in what God is calling us to. I mean, there's a difference between faith and unbelief, and that's actually urgency. Verse 24, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Again, this is why he is a man of faith right there. Now, sometimes people get weird and legalistic about this, so I feel the need to say this. Don't do this, all right? If you are uncircumcised, don't go home and grab your steak knife or a rock in the backyard or a parking knife and say, I need to circumcise myself. You're not Abraham. You don't need to. <clears throat> there's an AP story a couple years ago of some dude who tried to go out and circumcise his own kid. Circumcision's okay. Do it in the hospital if your kids are young so they don't remember it when they get older. Just saying, all right? Uh, hospital, good place to do it, not your backyard with the flint knife. Okay, verse 25, and you don't need to do it, by the way. Verse 25, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And I cannot imagine this conversation with a junior high boy, right? Hey, so we're going to, what? No, no, why? Because God said, why? We'll whip it out. Why? Because why? I just hear the conversation the whole time. Verse 27, all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Again, this painful experience that makes you tender and hear God again. What you have to understand is in this idea, the shedding of male blood was kind of Abraham's side of this covenant. It was all foreshadowing eventually the shed blood of Jesus for us. So let me pull this together for you as best I can. Do you need to be circumcised to be saved? have a relationship with God today no no not at all the law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ first Corinthians 7 18 and 19 was anyone at the time of his call <clears throat> already circumcised let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision I don't know how you do that whatever was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised let him not seek circumcision for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but keeping the commandments of God Faith is what counts. It's not the sign. It's an attitude of the heart. This is why vampire movies are stupid because, you know, oh, it's a vampire. Grab a cross. And they go, oh, and the vampire's like, oh, like, like this means anything. It's the faith behind it that actually means something. I mean, you can carry a Bible, take communion, but if you don't love Jesus, it means nothing. 
Love is more than emotion. It is commitment. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Galatians 6.15, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Has he changed your heart? Has he changed your life? Circumcision is all about foreshadowing circumcision of the heart. So Abraham would walk with God and be careful how he walked and listened and trust him. And we are all circumcised if we truly believe that we have been a people who have lived in sin and God comes to us, forgives us, loves us, cleanses us. And we consecrate ourselves and our futures to him because of what he has done. And our circumcision is done in our heart, the seat of who we are in all of our decision making. I mean, you've got to look at your life and your choices and see if you truly believe. Jeremiah 4.4, 4, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts. Circumcision of the heart is what matters. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. <clears throat> Romans chapter 2. Difference between, uh, many differences between the Old and the New Covenant. But in the Old Testament, only men were circumcised. In the New Testament, men's and women's hearts are both circumcised. It makes us tender and open and receptive to God. You know, because what good would it do to have a sign and not love God or carry a Bible and you never read or take com- communion and never confess your sins? Romans two twenty eight and 29 says this. For no, one is a Jew who is, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, meaning circumcision, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter, his praise is not from man, but from God. What you have to understand is what the knife does for Abraham, the spirit does for us. He takes our hard hearts, he cuts off all of our callousness, and he makes us open and receptive to God again. The key is faith in Jesus. Confessing our sins when we stumble, not that we confess them so they're forgiven. They are forgiven at the cross 2,000 years ago. But we confess them because it keeps our heart humble and pliable. And Jesus comes and cleans up our messes in the hardness of our calloused heart. And if you have never done that, today is a great day to surrender yourself to Jesus. I mean, because some of us are so hard and we deny it, but the love of God is so hard to find in some of us. And I will tell you that God longs to rip off that callousness and give you a new heart so you can breathe and feel and be alive again. That God can circumcise your heart. And we can be like Abraham and trust God and live and walk carefully with our great God. This is one of the reasons we come to communion every week because it reminds us of what God has done. This, where you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip in the wine of the grape juice, you remind us of this blood that was shed for you and I so that we can be a people with this soft and tender heart that he comes and rips off the callousness of who we are, the shed blood of Jesus for you and I. So we are tender to what God calls us to. The band's going to come up. And as they do, do a couple songs. Uh, these songs hopefully will reflect and you know, help us better see who God is and what he's calling us to today. There's going to be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer for anything, they'd love to pray with you. But especially if you're in a place this morning and you're thinking, man, my heart is not tender towards God. And it really needs to be. I really want to hear what he is saying and who he's calling me to and how he's calling me to live. Go and pray with them. Uh, there's offering boxes on the side of wall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving then is simply part of our worship, part of our response to what he has already done in us. And then there's some food and stuff in the back. Because I will tell you, we do the food so that you guys can get to know each other, awkward pauses in conversations, shove something in your mouth so it doesn't look so awkward, and talk to somebody else. Because this whole idea of circumcision of our hearts not only brings us tenderness towards God, but tenderness towards other people as well. 
that we understand as a humble people that God is a God who has loved us and he has redeemed us from all of our knuckleheaded craziness. And you may have people around you that drive you crazy, but you know what? God loves and longs to redeem them as well. <laughs> Boom, take that. <laughs> so today, uh, be a person who begins to walk a life that is in humbleness, hearing the voice of God as it calls and as it speaks, because our God is good to his people. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for being a God who promises to come and circumcise our hearts, uh, that we can be tender, that we can hear what you long to say to us again. Father, we want to be a people who every gentle whisper and breath that you bring our way, we hear and we feel and we know. Father, thank you for being a good God who who lays things out in such a way that we can progress forward and understand and know what you were doing from the very beginning and what you intend to do in our hearts today. That the law that you have now written is upon our hearts and not in the circumcision of ourselves and, and not tablets of stone, but hearts of flesh that should be tender before you. So make our hearts tender and open. Make our lives be those that reflect the great graciousness of you so that everyone knows who you are by how we lift you up with our lives and that we would in turn be a people who live on mission for your name because we have a heart that beats in time with yours. A heart full of grace, a heart full of goodness, calling your people to true life and true redemption and true hope. Thank you for loving and saving us.